<laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cody Crum and Calvet podcast. Uh, if you guys are watching on the internet, <laughs> good job, Cody. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you'll note that I have a little bit different camera angle, and you'll also notice my sweet Free Martin T-shirt. That's my new merch. I'm selling these on my online store because why wouldn't you want a t-shirt that says free martin it makes people smile it's like the free martin <laughs> i wasn't gonna rant about the free martin t-shirt a shirt that says free martin does a few things in your life first off it's like a secret club it's like dudes with beards did you know that like when guys with beards are walking like down the street or in the mall and they see another guy with a beard they give them like a knowing nod like it's like a secret little eye contact slight beard nod they just acknowledge each other's it <laughs> they acknowledge each other's beard eatiness and know the struggles and how, how manly they are or, or like motorcycles <laughs> down the highway at least here in canada when two motorcyclists pass each other they they wave, and I've probably waved at 10,000 motorcycles in my life, or more, probably probably more, and I've yet to have a single motorcycle wave back to me when I'm driving in a car. I've even waved with my hand out the window, and they won't even wave back to me. Oh, okay, so that's the first thing. <laughs> now he's ranting about bikers. Yeah, here, Cody, start a podcast. <laughs> You'll be great at it. The other thing, so that's what the that's what the Free Martin T-shirt does. When somebody knows what a Free Martin is and they see your T-shirt, you're gonna see it in their eyes. You're gonna know that they're from that they're kindred spirits, that they're from the same stock as you, because they know what a Free Martin is. That that you know that 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 man or that lady or that boy or that girl has some has some agriculture background some cattle experience and and you'll be able to seek them out in the crowds uh the other thing is um i think it's a great conversation starter that's one of the things that i've loved about my palpation nation ball cap with me sticking my hand up a cow's bum is huge. It's a huge conversation starter. People who have no idea or interest in the industry, they're just like, okay, what's up with your hat? And then I tell them I'm a beef cattle veterinarian. This is my job. And it's lovely. And then the last thing that the free Martin t-shirt represents is it puts a smile on people's faces. And that's all I care about. It just makes them smile. So go to CodyCroman.com slash catalog. There you can get the Free Martin t-shirt. I think it's only in black and only in white. Might be in some other colors. I like to keep the merch simple. Okay, this setting of this podcast, I'm like a hot, sweaty mess right now. It has taken an hour and nine minutes just for me to set up my gear. The reason for that is I tend to break a lot of gear and I also break gear in fits and starts so I'll go a couple months where I hardly break anything and then 
there seems to be this week where I just absolutely smash and destroy everything. So we just went to vacation in British Columbia, and right before that, I smashed my iPhone. I got a new screen put on, and apparently they're not as water-resistant when they have a new screen on. So we went camping, and I wasn't doing anything crazy with it, but we were, like, by the beach and stuff, and then all of a sudden stopped working, so it shut down, which was actually a good thing. My phone was broken for, like, two or three days of our vacation, so I wasn't complaining about that. Brought it back, got a new screen put on, they said there was a whole bunch of water in it, my bad, and then it still wasn't working, so I had to get another screen put on, they were they were amazing, they did all this for free as warranty work, even though I was the dumbass that got water in my phone, uh, but that's working now, my phone is working great, the GoPro for some reason today was was being crazy i was trying to use a gopro because my point and shoot isn't working the regular camera and this is why i'm at a different camera angle if you guys are watching on the internets uh my point and shoots lens was it i just i go through a point and shoot camera about every six months and it seems really excessive but they just are not meant to like do video as much as I do video they just can't keep up they they literally just break down so that was that that's starting to break the the drone today was doing a little bit of like weird noises that but it stopped but I'll try updating that my I have that three axis gimbal thing that I put my GoPro on that thing's done uh, I contacted the company to to get that repaired that's what gives me the smooth GoPro shots. That's like, well, there was there was snow on the ground when when that came. So that's like three or four months ago. I don't think I've broken anything else this week. But do you, do you see what I mean? It just goes in fits and starts. Since I started vlogging, I've gone through like five or six point-and-shoot cameras, two GoPros, uh, a laptop, Emerson poured chocolate milk on that laptop and yeah just like a variety of batteries and cords and uh, that stabilizer tripods I've broken a few tripods it's vlogging vlogging's hard on things so I'm hard on things actually and it's not that I don't care about things it just stuff has to keep up to me and it has a really hard time keeping up to me. So if you ever have, like, you develop something that's indestructible or is, like, supposed to be super tough and you want some real-world uh, trial, uh, some some crazy guy to try it out, I'm your guy. I'll wreck everything. I, You should see my last vet truck. That thing is it's a hot pile of garbage <laughs> after I was done with it. I don't think that was the one I got an accident in. That was the one before. That one was a super pile of garbage. Yeah, I, I hit a tree and a fence. So yeah, I can basically destroy everything. The What's something that I haven't destroyed that like keeps up with me? Well, Phineas. I'm surprised that my dog, I haven't wrecked him yet. Um, my Dunlop Thermos boots. Those are good boots. So I I actually lit my last pair on fire by accident on my space eater inside my vet box. But but I've only gone through two pairs of those in 
eight years. So I think that's pretty good. They're like minus 40 foam rubber steel toed boots that I just wear year round. They like provide a lot of good shin protection and they're super warm. My feet never get cold in them. Those are designed to keep up with me. But like everything else, I wreck. I, I can't think of another product. My, my ultrasound actually... I, I was thinking about that earlier today because it's electronic, like a, a BCF, Easy Scan. What do I use? Easy Scan 4 Curve. I used to use a linear, but yeah, just a, an ultrasound company that makes really good ultrasounds. I don't break them too often. I think I broke the odd goggles, uh, but like the actual ultrasound unit, the real expensive part, I never break. So that keeps up with me. That's about it. I break everything else. Okay, rambly, what's going on? Vacation. So you haven't seen podcasts for the last uh, week. Oh no, I think I got one out here, but that was pre-recorded on Friday. But uh, yeah, Diane and the kids and I went into British Columbia for a little vacation. So for Emerson's birthday, which was in July, we promised him we would take him to water slides and just kind of searched around and saw that British Columbia was the closest place that had some decent water slides. So we went. Uh, we just packed up the truck and we went camping and we went to two different water parks and it was like plus 34 to plus 38 every single day oh no we saw plus 39 celsius now i know for some of you guys in like the southern u.s that's not going to seem too hot but it was insanely hot for us and we were staying in a tent which plus 39 in a tent never a good idea we had lots of fun. It was very beautiful there. It's such a alien, foreign environment. Agriculture is so intensive. Their ability to grow so much corn, um, the, the having three or four cuts of hay, it's just a completely alien environment. Seeing grapes grown and and apples and peaches and just all the stuff that we don't have just on the other side of the mountains this was a really good trip we actually cut it two days two or three days short just because we were so hot we were just over it a day at the beach fun for the kids fun for us but you had to stay in the water the whole time otherwise you're just gonna roast so we came back recouped uh, did a really cool uh hike uh, we climbed up what's called Jumping Pound Summit. That is a mountain kind of close to, to Calgary. And I was so proud of Emerson. I think it was five kilometers up, a 450 meter elevation change. And he climbed up the whole way. We we're at the top of the summit, top of the mountain, got some good drone footage. I'll be putting together a um trails and tribulations that's our vlogging uh hiking channel on youtube trails and tribulations i know it's super witty and clever name uh that'll probably be up in about a week or so uh, we put all of our hikes up on there we just kind of shoot five to 15 minutes of a hike or a camping trip so we can remember it by and then i was back to work work right now is fairly slow the uh I guess our, our typical cycle would be in October, like right around the beginning of October, we'll start break testing. This, it'll be the start of fall run. And right now we've like over the last few years, we'll run pretty hard right into June where it doesn't seem like we can even take a breath. The 
seasonality of the cattle industry seems to be somewhat segmented or shifted now so we we at least feels like we don't really get a break until july but this year because we did the calgary stampede and then we did the advanced bovine rotation at our practice that took up all of july so it really just feels like this week is the first week that we've had a chance to just take a breath yeah um our year end is is right now though so we're just getting ready for the end of this month and that's our fiscal year end so that's not that's not incredibly slow either and then we're scrambling to get all of our materials ready for this coming fall run it is a lot of doing health reports, putting together presentations, doing literature reviews, making sure that we're disseminating information to all of our producers about what uh, new type of medicine, what new type of uh, products and procedures are out there for them to improve efficiencies. And looking at our own data, our own in-house stuff, uh, combing through that pulling out the little gold nuggets that we can share with our producers as well there's lots of new product reviews that we need to do looking at the last year's data looking at the epidemiology and lots of crew training so we're just putting together a lot of resources right now to be able to do that so it never it never really slows down but it certainly is enough to every summer this is weird so every summer that since i've been shooting the vlog i always get like this this internal debate i'm not gonna say depressed but i i get kind of down about the videos because i just don't have as much content to shoot i want to be shooting videos every single day and when I'm sitting in the office putting together health protocols and tying up loose loose ends and just generally managing the office, it uh, it always makes me wonder if I should just do the vlog in seasons and come June or July, I just stop the videos altogether and then the season starts back up just like regular TV show would. But then I would miss so many different things. Some of my favorite vlogs have been in the summertime that allows me to do things a little bit differently, a little bit cre more creatively, to uh, take a little bit more time on things like the the Phineas Creelman uh, truck dog vlog, where it's just me shooting Phineas all day. Like I would never be able to get to, to actually do that in the fall because fall's just too crazy. Plus that stupid video probably took eight hours to edit which is about double for my normal edit time so i i've never kind of canceled the vlog or canceled the videos for the summertime because otherwise i just miss all those gems but i wish i could be filming every day the like the, narcissistically if i had the option if if i had the option of what the videos would look like um, as much as I love shooting the videos, I would have that, like I said, that, that full on crew 
like a full camera crew following me around so I could capture every moment possible and be able to storytell more dynamically. It just makes things easier. And yeah, it adds an element where there's extra people on farm, especially in difficult situations, stuff like that. But uh, just from like a storytelling and capturing and being a creative and, and loving capturing those moments, I would love to have that, that additional help. I do worry that if that was the case in those kind of difficult situations that I could potentially alienate my clients. My clients are so incredibly supportive of the videos, but I do think that there would be a subset or at least a subset within specific moments where it would seem not appropriate. Uh, certainly there's clients that wouldn't want videos to be filmed at all and that that's perfectly okay i i respect and accept that but there's just so many moments that i miss that i wish that if i had some magical drone with a camera on it or a person following me that i would be able to capture but i digress the <laughs> should we get into the purpose of this vlog or sorry the purpose of this podcast so also going on in my life right now is my farm so my my little hay farm my 120 acres of hay the hay is being put up right now and it's been really hot and it is drying down super fast i'm getting one of my clients to to custom farm it he's doing the cutting and the raking and all the baling I'll do a little shout out to them. Uh, Long Run Ranch. Uh, they they have a, a beef company locally. So so these are clients of mine, and they sell beef direct to consumers. So they'll sell their beef uh, to people in the small towns surrounding us. So in Airdrie and Crossfield, they do like free delivery, and they just are telling a spectacular story. So I thought I might as well mention them. Uh, longrunranch.com I'll include the I can't remember the website but I'll include the link in the description below or within the show notes however it works on the podcasts so they're doing up my hay for me and I don't know hay prices all across the globe or across whatever demographic this, demographic this is going to reach but hay prices are crazy here right now they are in the kind of like 200 to $250 per ton range, which is like a 140 or $150 bale or more in some cases for like a typical, like a big round bale. That is so incredibly expensive to feed out a cow. A cow, if you just did like a rough rule of thumb, would eat about six or seven uh, giant round bales and if you're paying $150 I'm really bad at math but that's 707 that's a thousand it's a thousand dollars to feed cow hay for the winter it's that's so expensive anyways I got some hay for sale if anybody wants really expensive hay I'm joking I'm joking and don't mean to make light of the hay situation but yeah it's, it's kind of a combination of things i think the hay price right now so uh certainly it's just scarce because there's just 
it's kind of been a drought year, so we don't have a lot of hay in the area. A lot of guys used up all of their available feedstocks or carryover that they would have had last year because we had such a long winter. So there was hardly a scrap of two-year-old hay to be found this year. And there's also a psychological thing that I think goes along with that as well. Uh, The producers had a really long winter. In Western Canada, a lot of them ran out of feed and were not used to running out of feed and had to scrounge. And that is scary and that hurts. And I think they were trying to mitigate that with uh, with per- getting their hay purchases done early. And that drove the price up because they just wanted to secure good, high-quality hay without having to worry about that uh, that sting, that panic that happened with this extra long winter. What I'm seeing now, though, it looks like there is some feed grade um, feedstock. So, like, what I'm trying to say is there's crops that were destined to be grain, like barley grain and wheat grain, that I think are now being put into silage, being put into green feed. Uh, They're being cut early and utilized for livestock feed because there just either isn't any or it's really expensive, so it's more economical to kind of divert that crop that you were going to combine come harvest, which harvest started now, and fill up your silage pit and have some green feed available. But what that does is kind of a chain reaction because then there's a scarcity within the grain side. So then if there's less acres that have been devoted to wheat grains and devoted to barley grain, then the cost of grain goes up and just kind of exasperates the problem. That is going to compound a few things just within the industry. So I think the other thing that'll happen is a lot of producers will cull hard in their cow-calf herd. mainly because they're running out of pasture because the feed is extremely expensive right now and some guys will just be getting out of the industry altogether because like I said that winter was so hard and and guys were scrambling for feed and it was really expensive so I think there's going to be a lot of guys who have, were on the cusp of, of getting out of the cattle business. They'll be selling off and divesting that and that, that herd this year. So what happens to cull cows when they come out of the cow-calf system? They enter the feed yard. The feed yard would typically keep them around 100 days. I can attest that a lot of my feed yards are bringing in, in a lot of cull cows already. And... While there's a there's a glut of cal, cull cows to purchase at auction, that means that there's cheap cows available. They the, the feed yard appreciates that kind of discount buy, but they do not appreciate what it does to the market later down the chain. So what I mean is. Cows eat a lot. They eat a lot of silage. They can eat a lot of barley grain. So during really high uh, cost of feed years, they can be very expensive to feed. They'll be on feed for that that kind of short term, though, that 100 days. But then the, the market within the slaughter capacity uh, just gets slammed with all of this lower quality meat, um, this, this a, a lot of grind, so ground beef. Uh, floods into the marketplace and that drives down the 
the cost and that is then driving down the cost of all the beef because we need to eat our way out of all of this kind of excess of cheap beef and that hurts the feedlot producer that has some up-and-coming high-quality cuts because they're the spread is just too much for people to to I guess justify eating the higher quality the higher cuts and they are content to get the the really cheap ground beef while supplies last that makes sense so it's just it's never pretty when we see this situation we we have the potential to have a really high uh sorry, really low call cow prices, really high feed prices, and the calf prices, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. If I had to guess, I would say that in general, because I think the corn crop in the U.S. is fairly decent, that calf prices will be about average. They'll just be solid. There won't be a crazy record year, and it won't be a, a terrible year it will be solid and based off of the we'll have to see what the what the feed um grains are like what type what type of if we just had like two or three more weeks and we would see what yields were on barley grain and wheat across the prairies i'd be able to better tell what the feedlot profitability would be but it's just too soon that's why i don't play in the cattle markets because it's just it's too stressful so what can you do as a cow calf producer to help mitigate some of your risk this year with these types of situations cropping up we have pasture situations getting fairly dire i have some producers calling me saying they only have one to two weeks left of pasture uh, before they might have to bring their cows home and, and start feeding them stored feedstock. When you have to start feeding your cows in August, it's a long time until the, the first grass, June 1st. Like, like that's how long our winters are, could potentially be or how long we have to feed cows stored feed for. So that's, that's a first consideration, which is fairly scary. Um... What could potentially be setting up is what I expect for this year and guys that'll they'll they'll need to do is I think an early preg test is really important for some producers that are short on feed or are facing buying really expensive feed. So what I'll explain is what is the typical situation. So you would turn the bull out and the bull would usually be out for two or three heat cycles with a cow. So it would be out for 42 days or 63 days. And then the producer would go and pull the bull out and we would leave the cows out on pasture until it was weaning time until in effect the pasture had had run out usually in october november and then the producer brings the cows home we wean the calves and we preg test the cows right away so those cows will be in that kind of four to six month range depending on when your breeding season is four to six months pregnant this year, which I think could be a real possibility, is going and doing a preg test early so we know how many cull cows 
uh, we're going to get rid of and we know what our exact herd number is so we know uh, how to buy just kind of the, the exact amount of feed. We don't want to feed a single mouthful of $150 uh, per bale hay to an open cow. She's, she's destined for the feed yard. I hate to say it, but she's just not worth it. Only the mamas that are carrying the babies are, are worth that. And I... That's it's still pretty expensive. The the profitability just it's not going to be great this year. So, the, what an early break test can look like if I had my preference. So let's say you had a sixty three day breeding season. Uh, what we would do is I would say two to three weeks after when you pull your bull would be when I want to go in and preg test your cows. Now, you'll ask me, how early can you preg test, Cody? So with ultrasound, I can do normal preg test speed at about 37 days. I can preg test earlier than that, but when we're running large groups of cattle, it's just easier and faster if they're about 37 days. I can just throw my arm in, throw my extension arm in, and I can see the baby with with rapid succession at that date. Um, at... You know, at 28 days, 27 days, I, I can find the baby, but it just takes longer because I have to scan both horns all the way to the tip. So you would think, what did I say? Two to three weeks after you pull the bull and Cody, if you're saying that you like to break test cows at 37 days pregnant, your math isn't adding up. You should wait two to three more weeks. You should be waiting till. 37 days after you pull the bull before the earliest possible preg test can be done and heard. And that's just not the, the case uh, because the ones that we're going to catch anyways are those the cows that we really want in our herd when the feed is so expensive. So the vast proportion of cows are going to be pregnant first cycle. Okay, so that's in the first 21 days. A cow cycle is 19 or 23 days, depending on if they're a two-wave, two-follicular wave cow or a three-follicular wave cow. There's actually no such thing as a 21-day cow. It's just an average of 19 and 23 wave cycles. The so, so you have the 21 days. Most of the cows are going to be pregnant in that, kind of in that 67 to 70% range. And then you have your second cycle and the rest of the open cows. So let's say it's 30% were left open for second cycle. The Another 70% are then going to be pregnant. So then you have a fairly small proportion of cows that get pregnant in the last 21-day cycle. What we would be doing by doing a two to three week uh, preg test after we pulled the bulls would be we're just going to we're, we're going to miss those cows, even if they're pregnant, we're going to end up missing them. And that's going to be okay. I'm not going to be able to tell that they're pregnant because if I'm preg testing at, uh, let's say, at two weeks, at 14 days after you pull the bulls, there's going to be a proportion of cows in there that were bred on the last 10 days that I'm just not going to see as pregnant. I might see a little bit of fluid, but I'm not going to be able to say definitively for a few more days whether they're pregnant or not. But those cows are the ones that would have calved late on in your uh, calving season anyways. Uh, Probably not, uh, you know, in terms of genetic propagation of fertility, probably not the best candidates either. It took them three cycles to get pregnant. 
and you're just wanting to find reasons to get rid of cows. So we might as well get rid of the cows that are going to have the late calves because late calves means small calves come weaning time and small calves means not as much money. Bigger calves, bigger check. That's my new slogan. <laughs> Next time on Cody Crum and Calvet Podcast. New t-shirt. Bigger calves, bigger check. Yeah, boy, cowboy. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. So certainly talk to your veterinarian or whoever does your preg testing about going ahead and doing an early preg test to get rid of those calls. You'll also be able to access probably a better call cow market. It gives you more opportunities to market those cows. So uh, those open cows, when we're waiting until the typical weaning time in, in November, that's when the cull cow market is flooded because that's when the majority of people are doing their prank testing and you're essentially going to get bottom dollar for your cull cow. With an early prank test, that allows you to hold on to that cow for a little bit longer just in case that market's down, but we know that the market isn't necessarily flooded. So you'll be able to have more marketing options. I like that. If your open pen seems a little higher than what you expect, like let's say you kind of have a rough number in your head that uh, you your preg test rate is usually around 90% pregnant, and you would maybe just kind of have an arbitrary rough number of saying that, well, I, I certainly want at least 80% of them pregnant. And if it wasn't the case because we were doing this kind of early preg test technique, you don't necessarily have to get rid of the open cows. We could go back in and re-preg test them in two weeks if you wanted and then get every single last possible pregnant cow and still be able to get rid of those cull cows sooner, those, those open cows that are going to be eating your expensive feed. So, so many different options to do an early preg test. Uh, certainly it takes a lot more labor because you have to bring those cows in and versus the kind of two birds with one stone uh, doing it at weaning time. But like I said, some guys are going to be bringing their cows in off of pasture anyways uh, because they're simply just running out. So it's a good option to have a, a very good management tool to, to potentially go with. Uh, another thing right now is uh, fly season's really bad, and I've been getting some calls about pink eye, uh, herd outbreaks of pink eye, especially in Saskatchewan. And one of the techniques that some of the producers are using to control flies at this time of year is to run the entire group through and give them all Ivamec. Uh, the Ivamec will have about a 30 days worth of fly control. It will also be larvicidal or megacidal, so the flies lay their eggs in the cow poop, and that's what hatches out maggots, and the maggots turn into flies. So if you give a cow Ivamec, the Ivamec gets in the poop, and it kills the maggots, and it stops the cycle at least for 30 days so uh, those guys that are running their cows through anyways to help control their pink eye problem and to control their fly problem could probably logistically preg test their cows now and be able to uh, decrease the overall st um, stocking pressure that those open cows are putting on the uh, on the environment on on your pasture 
one thing to note with early preg testing is early embryonic death. So um, before 42 days when we do a preg test, there's a higher proportion of cows that will then lose that calf. Uh, that kind of 42, 45 days is the magic window if they're confirmed pregnant. Uh, at that time or later, chance of early embryonic death is quite low. But if we do a preg test before that 42 days, uh, the chance is around 10%. So about 10% of those cows that are called pregnant at, let's say, let's say 28 days are, are going to lose that embryo within the next couple of weeks and then be an open cow. So that's just one consideration that early embryonic death is at a higher rate so you may notice a little more or a few extra cows in your dry pasture uh, come springtime so dry pasture or your dry cow pasture would just be the the cows that were confirmed pregnant in the fall and then at some point lost their calf and at the end of calving season you're looking at these cows saying well my vet said that they were pregnant and uh, now they're not having babies so your, your vet's dumb he's not he or she is not well they could be but or a bad preg tester like that's possible but also have to take in consideration an abortion stillborn and early embryonic death Okay, so the other important thing I think right now when we're dealing with these types of pasture situations and cost of feed situations is test your feed, please. If you're going to buy feed, please get it tested. It's so cheap. Like at my practice, we have uh, two different probes that the producers can just come in and get. One's on a drill and one's like one that you kind of stab into a bale. Just take a feed sample of some hay that you're looking to purchase any reasonable hay seller uh, feed seller is going to let you do a sample if you're willing to pay for it yourself like with my hay uh, what I'll do is I will go and get it analyzed and then I will be able to tell people who want to purchase it um, what type of quality it is so it's so easy to do to go just get a few samples and then send them off to a feed lab usual cost be in that kind of 50 to 100 dollar range depending on which tests you want done you basically just need some base tests to start to make that buying decision you want to know what your protein is you want to know what your total digest digestible nutrients are and depending on the type of feed like if you're buying green feed or not you might want to know uh what the nitrate levels are but but other than that for the most part just to make a buying decision that's all you need of course if you're going to pay for analysis it's always good to know what your what your mineral level is going to be as well so i usually just recommend getting a full feed analysis but that can allow you to justify whether or not you should go ahead and pay that top dollar. So what I would look for in a high quality feed stock, like I said, is just the, the couple different metrics, the crude protein and the total digestible nutrients. If those look good and all the other numbers are just kind of average, 
then I'm really happy with paying uh, top dollar. So uh, what we do is we have a rule of thumb for protein, and that is the 7-9-11 rule of thumb. So 7% protein, 9% protein, 11% protein, depending on which stage that cow is in in her gestation or lactation. So the the 7% protein that will get, get a cow through most of the way of her lactation of her gestation 9% protein will get her right up until calving so get her through the third trimester and then 11% protein is what's needed for lactation so that's how much protein that, that, that they need and then on the total digestible nutrients the rule of thumb is 55-60-65 so 55% 60% and, and 65% the kind of following the same thing that that 55% total digestible nutrients is going to be enough energy to get those cows through most of their pregnancy uh third trimester is going to need that 60% and 65% is needed for lactation so if you can find a feedstock that is uh 11% or better of crude protein and 65% total digestible nutrients are higher then you won't have to provide any sort of uh, supplemental energy or protein in your feed that can save you a lot of money especially when feed costs are high for the grains as well so just get your feed tested um, you can use that information later to do ration formulations do least cost formulations you'll be able to save all kinds of money there uh, we work with a nutritionist at our practice we also do some basic nutrition ration balancing in our practice as well we use a product called cow bites it's just a pretty simple tool to be able to plug in all of the analytics that you got off of your feed test report and balance rations depending on which type of cattle and which stage of production they're in okay I don't think I breathed for the last 10 minutes. That's it for the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for subscribing and listening. And if you haven't subscribed, shame on you. Please subscribe, leave a review on my iTunes, and we'll see you next time.